G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Realfaith.org.au his mm-hmm. lifestyle was sleep for three days, wake up frantic, drive around crazily till he found drugs, spend all the money he had on those drugs. He was even dealing drugs to get enough money because he From was a very gangs? heavy user. Yeah, he was dealing with bikey gangs. Oh, wow. So he moved into our house right then. The next morning, he came at 8.30 in the morning carrying breakfast in bed. And we started to realise we have seen a miracle. Welcome to Real Faith conversations about the impact faith has on our lives and the challenges we go through. Helping us today and giving us hope for tomorrow. That's real people, real life and real faith with Eric Scadabo. Welcome back. Today we have part two of our conversation with Aussie Christian rockers David and Rosanna Palmer. We've been hearing their story and how they were professional musicians traveling and performing in their band, Rosanna's Raiders, when the Lord entered into their lives. When we ended last time, we heard about how their sound man was concerned about his girlfriend, who he thought was possessed. David suggested that they should talk to his brother-in-law, who is a pastor, thinking that maybe he could help. So we just jumped in the car and we went there. And of course, our guitarist, who was living with us at the time, he said, Oh, can I come too? So he came. Oh, wow. So the whole gang's yeah. heading over to your brother-in-law. Yeah, and we got there. He invited us in. He said, what's the problem? We explained it. And Richard just said to the sound guy, he said, listen, you can't help your girlfriend till you help yourself. And by now, both him and the guitarist are sitting there with these almost angelic looks on their face, and they go, oh, well, what have I got to do to help myself? And Richard said, give your life to Jesus. And he says, okay. And the guitarist said, can I do that too? And the next thing, we couldn't believe it. Because remember, the church we grew up in, we never saw this. Mm-hmm. There were both my mates, you know, one a drug addict, sound guy that was just amazing, our guitarist who used to drink and smoke like there was no tomorrow, kneeling down in my sister's lounge room, giving their lives to Jesus. Oh, wow. Mm, it's like amazing. time stood still. Yeah. We, just, we were dumbfounded. And then they turned to us and said, have you already said this prayer? And as Rosanna said, we'd said it many times from the back of the book. So we're going, yeah, I guess we have. Anyway, we finished there at, what, 1, one thirty in the morning. We got back in the car to go home. And we didn't have a band meeting. We didn't have a discussion. The drummer wasn't present, mind you. Mm-hmm. But we just knew that we had to use our music for God. And then we got pulled up by the police. And, of course... The sound guy still had his drugs in his oh. bag, in the car. Just wait, this is driving back from this? Yes. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. The same night? <laughs> the same the night. Same night. <laughs> and we knew this is a disaster because we'd taken this risk of having him with us mm-hmm. with his drugs. Yeah. And, you know, if the police ever caught it, we would all be in the same boat. So I was in the car and, you know, I started to pray. I'd never really prayed that much, but I was really praying that night. And... One policeman took the sound guy down the road to question him, <laughs> and 
The other one was going over the car, writing out an unroadworthy certificate because, as you know, someone who spends all his money on drugs does not repair his car Hmm. and it was in need of bad repair. And the policeman says, where are you from? And he said, Ferntree Gully. He said, where have you been? He said, Morwell. He said, what were you doing in Morwell? And a voice spoke to him. He'd just be giving his life to Jesus and a voice spoke to him and said, Tell the policeman you've been to see a pastor. But he had no idea what a pastor was. So he said, I've been to see a priest. (laughs) And the policeman said, well, that's a good enough reference for us, son, on your way. (laughs) And they put us back in the car and we're driving. You can't make this stuff up. (laughs) (laughs) We were just sitting there, again, totally amazed. And then I got bold again. I said, You've got to get rid of your drugs. And he said, when? And I said, now. (laughs) All I could see was us getting pulled up again and he's got drugs in the car. So he did. He just took it all away, took it all out in his hand and just threw it as hard as he could over into the paddock and went home, you know, and he never touched drugs again. It was an absolute miracle. It really was. Now, you had seen him day after day in his lifestyle. His Uh lifestyle was sleep for three days, wake up frantic, drive around crazily till he found drugs, spend all the money he had on those drugs. He was even dealing drugs to get enough money because he was a very heavy user. Mm. Yeah, he was dealing with bikey gangs. Oh, wow. And then he'd be awake for three days and do all these crazy things, and then he would get crazily tired. He'd run out of drugs, sleep it off for three days. That's the way he lived. And that night, he came back. We knew we couldn't send him back to his house. A, his girlfriend was there who was having these demonic troubles, and B, bikey gangs are going to come around wanting drugs. So he moved into our house right then. He just stayed with us. And the, the next day he had to kind of go and rescue his son from the primary school and bring him back to live with us too. But the next morning, remember Muso's hours were go to bed at 4, get up at 12 midday. He came at 8.30 in the morning, knocked on our bedroom door because Rosanna and I were married by then, came in carrying breakfast in bed. Oh, my goodness. And you think, he's just stopped taking drugs. We didn't didn't dawn on us the first day, mm. but after a couple of days, he did the same thing three days in a row, and then we realised, and hang on, normally when he can't get drugs, he sleeps for three days, and now he's only sleeping a few hours and coming in before anybody else, and we started to realise we have seen a miracle. Mm. This mm. is a miracle, and man, that gave us such momentum, and we knew we had to use our music for God. We instantly started changing mm. the words to our songs to just... Oh, okay. You know, eliminate anything that might have been suspect in any way and just, you know, just started to talk about the love of God and, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, the two of you said that you had recited a prayer to accept Jesus as your Savior that you read in the back of the book, Mm -hmm. but it sounded like that was kind of on a surface level. But now it sounds like you really owned it. Yeah. Absolutely. On that night when the guys got born again, Richard said, oh, I'll pray for you guys as well. And he prayed for us. And it really was th- that night that we got the call of God. You know, it really mm-hmm. changed on the inside. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely right. It was definitely the call of God. And we knew we had to use our music for God. And the guitarist was saved, the sound guy. Rosanna and I play bass guitar. Rosanna was lead vocals and guitar. And the only one that wasn't there that night was the drummer. So eventually... and so he was like, what happened here? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. And he'd been in very anti-God bands prior to that. Okay. Mm. But he was against drugs and because he, he'd had his own experiences and gotten free. And he really wanted the sound guy to get off drugs because they'd been friends 
before they joined us. Oh, so he was really happy now. He he was glad that he was off drugs, but he didn't know how he got off drugs. So it was arranged that we would go around to his house and explain this. And the sound guy rang and said, I want to come and talk to you. I'm, I'm off drugs, you know, whatever. And he kept saying, well, what's it about? What's it about? And he only mentioned, he just said, it's about God. So by the time we got to the drummer's house, he was ready for us. <laughs> and he had <laughs> the garlic out on the table. He thinks that's going to ward it all <laughs> off, you know. Anyway, the sound guy told him this story about how he was off drugs now, and the drummer was just looking at him. You know, he was very, very, his face wouldn't smile or anything. He was just staring. And so we left. And then he came to rehearsal, but by now we'd made a decision. We knew that we were going to change all of our music to be about God, and we're going to sing in the nightclubs. But we had to drop some of our most crowd-pleasing songs to do it because they were from bands that had a reputation, you see, Mm. for being demonic, and everybody knew that. So we knew we had to drop these songs out. And when the drummer realized that we dropped out the best songs, he got very upset. He slammed his drumsticks down and he said, if God's got anything to do with this band, I'm out of here. But he gave us notice. He said, you've got two weeks to find a new drummer. And we knew we couldn't talk to him about God, but it didn't stop us talking to God about him. So we prayed for him day and night. We prayed for everybody we knew because Richard had showed us how to pray for our friends, how to get them saved. So we just prayed what he showed us and we just started to list names of, we had like, what was it? Ten foolscap pages? Yeah, of names written. Oh, wow. All the musos we knew and everybody we knew, and we prayed for them all one by one every day for hours we were praying. You know, that's what happened. God, You guys were on fire. <laughs> we don't know how it happened. God did it. It's just what yeah. it seemed like this is what we should do. Yeah, we all lived in the one household, and we would just get together, you know, every night, and we'd just pray, pray through these names. And you felt led by the Lord to continue to do the music in the nightclub scene. That, that was our living. Absolutely, absolutely. But yeah. have God-oriented lyrics? Yeah. Yes. How did the people in the nightclub go for that? I mean, mostly it didn't make any difference to them whatsoever. We could see one of the managers standing there staring at us. Now, we don't know whether that's because he liked the band or whether he was wondering <laughs> what was going on. But it all went well for about a year. But okay. then we played in what would have been the biggest nightclub in Melbourne. Mm. One of those nightclubs where people queue up outside. Mm. And by then we'd started learning about prayer and spiritual warfare and binding the enemy. So we had to set up in the afternoon about 3 o'clock, but we didn't start playing till 10 p.m. So we had nothing to do all this time, you know, four hours or something. We were just mm. waiting around. So I started praying. I was praying in the band room in a nightclub. Then I went out when they started the house music and the dance music. I was walking around out there praying. No one could hear me. And I was binding this and praying against that. Anyway, we came out and played and it all went normal to us. But on Monday, the agent got a very negative phone call. Yeah, and he said, I don't know what it is about that band. We had a record crowd. There were great numbers there, but we had the lowest bar take that we've ever had. (laughs) (laughs) And he said, we don't want them back. We don't want them back. You know, no one was drinking. Oh, that's interesting. And, of course, our heart was for outreach. And we realized after about a year that you can't really reach out very well in a pub. You can. You can talk to people one-on-one, and we've yeah. done plenty of that. But Implant seeds. You mm. couldn't really mm. preach or do anything like that. Yeah. So, again, like that idea we had years before, let's become professional and didn't know how to do it, I just said, it must have been God guiding me. I said, let's go to the schools. And, of course, being practical, Rosanna said, what are we going to live on? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> but I just know that if we get to the schools, we can reach them before they're drunk. 
And from that day onwards, God opened doors for us to play in high schools for 10 years. Oh, wow. In, including overseas as well. Our guests once again are Aussie Christian rockers David and Rosanna Palmer from Rosanna's Raiders. And we've been hearing their story and how they all became Christians, including the drummer. As we just heard, he gave two weeks notice that he was going to leave, but David shared with me that he became a Christian in three weeks. Fantastic. We'll hear more of their story and more about their ministry when we return right here on Real Faith. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401-132-888. You're listening to Real Faith. Conversations with real people about how God works in their lives. If you want to know more about integrating faith into your life, our website is realfaith.org.au. Just go to the website and you'll find helpful articles about the impact faith can have on your life. Once again, that's realfaith.org.au. Welcome back to Real Faith. I'm Eric Scadabo. And once again, our guests are Aussie Christian rockers, David and Rosanna Palmer from Rosanna's Raiders. We've been hearing their story. Next, we're going to hear some of their music and the impact their ministry has had on the lives of many people. We went to England and had a really successful mission over there. We went to Derby and played at many schools, like a couple each day, and we would do an outreach at night. So we, we would go into the school during the day, play music, and say, come along tonight to this outreach. Mm-hmm. And people were just giving their lives to Jesus. It was so successful. It was wonderful. And you were able to make a living. Yeah, again, we, we just had to learn how to live by faith. You know, sometimes I would go and do library shelves or help my brother-in-law shift furniture, but mostly God provided there would be some outreach concerts, I guess, that paid something. I, I really don't know. I didn't take that much notice, actually, of all the money <laughs> side of it. I just know if someone rang me to come and do a job, you know, physical labour, I'd do it. I was actually doing a lot more study in the garage than we were concentrating on yeah. music. Yeah, let's talk about that. I can't explain it, but I just had an appetite for it, you know, and... We By then, of course, we had the house full of band members, then street kids, and so there was no room to study in the house. It was all full. So I just put the cars out of the garage and set up a desk out there and went for it. And the, the sound guy, he went into the bookshop and he bought himself a concordance and a commentary. Then when he got them home, he had a good look at them and he didn't have a clue what to do with it, so <laughs> he gave them to me. So I had now had a concordance, a commentary. Someone bought me an interlinear Greek Bible. So I just went out there and learned and prayed and studied. Just self-study? Yes. Yeah. Self-taught? Mm. Yeah. Well, I knew how to study. I'd been through university, so that wasn't a problem. But we were doing outreaches all the time, and then we found out about reaching the street kids in St Kilda. So we were going down there on some, some nights, just hanging around the streets, talking to street kids, mm. until eventually one of the street kids, which was supposed to be in prison, escaped so many times I gave up trying to hold her in, and they let her come live at our house. So we had this street kid. Now, look, this is the thing, right? Rosanna and I are farm kids from the country. In our own natural self, we knew nothing about street life or street kids or anything like that. As we said, we never touched drugs, mm-hmm. never yep. took alcohol, didn't smoke cigarettes, didn't get any tattoos, 
nothing. Never wore an earring, nothing. And how we've got street kids in our house, we didn't have a clue what to do with them, but pray for them and love them. And that was also where I got a lot of inspiration for writing songs because I thought, how do we reach these people? How do we let them know about the love of God? And I remember saying to one of the girls, you know, God loves you, and she cringed. And I thought, uh-oh, this is not relating. And, you know, obviously um, we weren't weren't connecting on that level and yeah. her father was in prison because having abused her. So I thought, no, there's God, you've got to show me how to write songs that really connect. So I started writing songs like You Are Special, I Believe in You, and just some of those concepts about God's love. And that really began to connect, and that's where a lot of the inspiration for the songs came that we were doing at the time. And then, after a while, besides just doing the rock music that you were doing, the Christian rock music at that time, you also branched into praise music. Mm. How did that come about? When we first got saved, one of the things that our brother-in-law did was establish us in a church. So we started going to church and loved it, and not only went to the church we were part of, who, which just had a morning service, but we also went to another local church because they had a night service, and they were very, you know, they had Mel Fletcher there who was leading Youth Alive, and it was very vibrant, and so we would go there at night. And so we thought, after a while, we thought, oh, you know, we realized we could actually write praise songs, and we began to do praise music as well. The church we started to go to was called Truth and Liberation Concern. They didn't have very exciting music at the time. They had some very good musicians there. And they gave us one or two opportunities to do music in church. But then, again, I don't know where this came from. This idea dropped into my mind. And the sound guy was with me on this. And we decided we wanted to put on a big praise spectacular. We kind of got this idea. We were at a home group one night. We are all praying. We got all this idea, wrote down a list of songs. And we went to see the pastor and he said, we've got a vision to do a praise and celebration night. And he said, yes. So we had about 10 singers, I think, and a big row of musicians and the sound guy did sound. And we did this big praise night and we had no idea what it was like because there was a row of, you know, concert lights in front of us shining in our face. And and we started to do this really contemporary version of Arise, Shine, you know, Mm -hmm. for the light has come. And the people began spontaneously to do like a Jericho march around the building. And as they came past, I could see them then just because, you know, they came in close enough to see. I couldn't see. A Jericho march. They just got (laughs) together, marched all around the building. Just marching around. (laughs) And I could see that there were hundreds of people present. We don't know who they were, where they came from. Absolutely amazing it was. And he recorded and put it out as a cassette. And sadly, it was before we knew anything about copyright. (laughs) We just didn't know about that. So this cassette 
it was just called a you know a praise and celebration night with all these people singing and us playing and me leading and exhorting the people in between the songs and you know really yeah, doing a yeah. I don't know we hadn't there was no role models for that then we just were doing it and this cassette went everywhere and people were telling us how they were playing it in hospital rooms and they said oh when it comes to you talking we always fast forward that part <laughs> <laughs> they loved the music and you know it just came out of an idea that popped yeah. into our head in a hunger. That's fantastic. You were able to lead so many people to the Lord. Yeah, and what happened was I was driving the truck in those days, you know, and God began to speak to me. Well, the devil spoke to me first. He said, they didn't really get saved, he said. They only came and said the prayer and come over the front because they liked the music. And I said to God, I said, God, is that true? And he said, the reason they came to the concert was because they liked the music. But the reason they heard the gospel was because they liked the music. But the reason they got saved is because the gospel is the power of God. Mm. That's what changed their life. And then he said to me, Dave, where are they going to go to church? And I said, oh, well, the local Uniting Church, the local Anglican Church, I don't know, wherever they you know, could want mm. to go. Yeah. And he just said to me, Dave, really? He said, you know as well as I do they're not going to fit in there. And then he said to me, you start a church. And I said, started church what do i know about starting a church i'm a musician and there was no ever negotiation from god that's all he said we spoke to our pastor at the time and he thought it was a good idea so we decided we'll start a church in st kilda and that's where we had met all the street kids and that's where we used to go to talk to street kids so we thought that's the place for us and i spent six weeks then praying about this church plant and my prayer was this but god i've got nothing to offer nothing to offer. When you had to do music, I knew how to preach a bit, but I didn't have a clue how to run a church. And, you know, God didn't answer ever anything about that prayer. And now looking back on it 30 years later, because that was 1988, 30 years later I look back on it and I go, man, my prayer proved I was qualified because I couldn't offer myself. I could only offer Jesus. Hmm. So that was our qualification. So we started a church. And 44 people came the first week. And when it finished, I was so excited. But the devil spoke to me and said, well, there won't be anybody next week. And I had to fight that same thought for about three years every Sunday. But we went on and we got the church going. Then we started a, an outreach church in there or a campus at Sunshine and one at Chelsea. And we kept going at that. Did you have to stop being a band or did you do them both? We did them both the best we could. We, we did them both, but the, the band did slow down for, for some time and we focused on church life for many years, always doing, always doing music because we always had, um, always involved in church music and doing some outreaches, but it did slow down a lot and we've, we've come back to it over the last six, seven years doing a lot more because we handed on the churches and yeah, back focused on the music. Well, unfortunately, we're running out of time, but how can we wrap up our conversation? What do you think has been the most fulfilling part of this whole journey in music and ministry? That's a very good question. And the, and the truth is, it's whatever God has you doing at the time. And 
you know, I found wherever I've responded to God, even though sometimes it's been very hard to transition into these things, every time I've responded and made that transition, it's been just filled with joy. I think with myself, with the music, I've always had a heart to see people's lives changed. We meet so many hurting people, hurt in so many different ways. And just to to write music that touches people's hearts and just helps them to have a recognition of God but also helps them to be who God called them to be because God makes people amazing. He puts gifts within their lives and yet they go through circumstances and things that the enemy tries to destroy who they are Mm -hmm. and to actually be part of some little part of that restoration of who they are in God and for them to give their life to Jesus and to see them travel a journey where they receive some healing in their life and some encouragement has been one of the most fulfilling things for me personally. Now, I have to think, after three decades of serving in ministry, from time to time you meet people who say, oh, yeah, I gave my life to the Lord at one of your concerts or something. That's just got to be the greatest feeling. It is, and it it always comes as a surprise. Yeah. You know, you you always feel, again, overwhelmed by that. You think, wow. It's like like something you don't expect or you... Because you're so busy doing something else by then that when they go back to that, you go, oh, yeah, we did do that. You know, <laughs> it's, it's been very exciting. Yeah, no, it was such an encouragement when people say that. And I always congratulate them because I say, well, you're still in there. So it's great. That's fantastic. David and Rosanna Palmer, thank you so much for sharing your stories with us today. Thank you thank for you having us. Thank you for having us. Our guests today have been David and Rosanna Palmer, and you can look them up on Facebook. Rosanna can be found at Rosanna Palmer Musician, and David can be found at David W. Palmer Author, and he's the author of several books, and they have several CDs, a lot of music, that all can be found on their Facebook pages. You've been listening to Real Faith, and if you have any questions or comments, you can send us a message through our website, realfaith.org.au. That's realfaith.org.au. This program is a production of Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, see vision.org.au.